All right, how we doing? Hey. Woo! Woo! Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. <laughs> Welcome to Hope Community Church. It is so good to be able to gather together here as a church community and Welcome to those uh, joining us at, uh, via Zoom. Uh, maybe you didn't notice I got a haircut this weekend. <laughs> I always like joking with people when they get a haircut. I like asking them, is that a haircut or did you change religions? <laughs> this one actually looks like the joke's on me, but it's a little short, but it'll grow back, right? Uh, we're continuing in a series that Mike started uh, called The Search for Serenity. And what we're doing is we're going through the longer form of a thing known as the Serenity Prayer. We're going through the, the uh, original version of this. And uh, today we're landing on a part of that prayer that seems very apropos. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this world. And I can't think of a better week to talk about the world, can you? <laughs> I mean, wow. Uh, just when you think that it can't get any weirder out there, then they throw an earthquake and a hurricane in on top of everything. And it's like, man, this, is, uh, this whole thing is like the plagues of Egypt on steroids. <laughs> it's just crazy out there. And the great news is, we're not actually here just to talk about current events, but more importantly, the topic of the day, as I said, is the search for serenity. And I think given current events, this is a perfect topic to tackle today because um, there are some problems with living in a fallen world, aren't there? One of the things we talked about a few weeks ago is that any time that we find ourselves in distress, when we're experiencing pain and suffering, our lying lower nature seizes this opportunity to pipe certain things into our heads, to try and twist our thinking around so we start to question our faith and question our beliefs. We have questions piped in that are designed specifically to weaken us. And the problem with pain, as we said a few weeks ago, is we start to look at God sideways. We start to have questions pop up like, uh, where is God? Is he even aware of what's going on? Does he even care? Can he do anything about it? And even worse, if he can do something about it, why isn't he seemingly doing anything? Or even worse, we ask ourselves, is he the one causing all of this? So with that, there's often another question that seems at times to be even more difficult. And that question is, what is our response to all of this craziness? As Christians, what exactly are we called to do? And I'll be honest, I mean, this is a question that I have struggled with for years. Because I often feel like I should be doing more. I should be doing something, but I don't want to go off half-cocked, and I'm not really sure uh, at times what a proper response even looks like. Should I stand up or shut up? 
Do I sit down? Do I lay down? Do I just let them run over me? And uh, quite frankly, I don't know. I've often confessed that uh, if I wasn't a born-again Christian, then plan B, I'd probably at this point be a vigilante. (laughs) All my life, I've had this incredible thirst for justice. And there's a great temptation in me, and sometimes still is, to take the law in my own hands. Because I feel like, well, if God isn't going to do anything, I guess it falls to me as his right-hand guy to go fix it myself, right? And fortunately, I'm not alone in that. Because history seems to be replete with examples of, I mean, literally millions of people throughout the centuries that thought they really understood what the real problems are out there, what the root cause is of all of mankind's ills, and then they took it upon themselves to go out and fix it themselves. Oftentimes, these people were operating, they believed, under the direct guidance of God. And You know, in hindsight, playing armchair quarterback, we can look back at some of these examples and realize, well, maybe they got it a little wrong. For instance, one of my favorites was back in the late 1800s. There was an organization formed called the Women's Christian Temperance Movement. And they sincerely believed that most of the ills of society could be traced back to the demon rum. And they believed that alcohol abuse was the number one problem in society. So they took it upon themselves to go out and advocate for change. And one of their members was a lady by the name of Carrie Nation. She was a fascinating character, but she took it to the next level. I can relate. I've been accused of that occasionally too. So she went out and got a hatchet and started chopping up saloons and breaking up bars and rolling kegs of alcohol out into the street and putting holes in them. And, you know, she kind of went vigilante. Uh, But she did. She was, I mean, you got to give her credit. She was pretty sincere. One of Carrie's uh, quotes that I love the best is she went on record as saying that uh, she believed that she described herself as, quote, a bulldog running along at the feet of Jesus, barking at what he doesn't like. (laughs) So that's just one of many examples of somebody who tried to fix things, not only in a way they believed would make things better, but fix it under the banner of God. Now, I was taught that if I'm praying for guidance and I believe God is speaking directly to me and his answer uh, starts off with, Mark, I want you to get a tire iron and a 357 Magnum. And I I was taught that maybe I might want to bounce that off of somebody. (laughs) But, you know, but again, The real deal here is if we want to affect change, if we want to fix anything, for example, let's look at it like a medical problem. If you want to fix a medical problem, it requires two very simple elements. 
you need an accurate diagnosis and you need an effective solution, right? In order to fix something correctly, we have to start by understanding what the real problem is. And then even if we understand that and get it right, we still need to fix it in the right way. So I believe today, in hindsight, all my life, I've been wrong about two simple things, my problems and my solutions. And oftentimes in my life, my solutions were even deadlier than my original problems were. And I think that's true also of crusaders and reformers when they go out to try and fix things. And that's why if there's one thing I would change in this classic prayer, what he says is that he encourages us to take, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. That's a great admonition. But even in here, you can see how the writer of this prayer diagnosed the world and believed the world has a sin problem, this sinful world. But is that really the root problem? I thank God for Hope Community Church because through the teachings here, I think we're very good at diagnosing the world's problem. See, this world doesn't have a problem with behavior so much as a problem with belief. Wrong beliefs are what lead to wrong behaviors. So instead of saying uh, this sinful world, or sometimes people say this fallen world, one of the foundational teachings of Hope Community Church was a lost world around us. And I love how Mike originally phrased that in our transforming beliefs, a lost world. And that certainly seems to be an accurate diagnosis. See, Christ didn't come to seek and save that which is bad. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And when we start to see people as lost, that requires a different solution than fixing people who are bad or sinful. So, and this is one of the teachings that got a hold of me at Hope early on, because when I saw that just point blank saying, there's a lost world around us. <sighs> See, I personally love truth in any form that it comes in. And when point blank, the church teaches that the world out there is around us is lost. It didn't candy coat it. It didn't sugarcoat it. It just point blank said, yeah, this world is kind of a mess. And it goes on to explain why. Uh, so, as I said, we need an accurate diagnosis and, and an effective solution. And this, I think, is where a lot of people get it wrong. Because some people believe that there is a political solution to this world. Some think there's a financial solution, some an educational solution. Others believe in a social solution, yet others believe there's an administrative solution. But the simple fact is, you, we cannot vote our way out of current events. We cannot buy our way. We cannot borrow our way out of current events. We can't spend our way out of 
current events. We're not going to be able to think our way out of the situations we're in. There's no social solution. We're not going to be able to roll up our sleeves, all come together, and and work our way out of this. Uh, There's no administrative solution, meaning that if we're waiting for some magic leader to come up who's going to help navigate us out of this, the bad news is that's not going to happen. But the good news is it doesn't need to happen. Because these are solutions that don't address the original problem anyway. So even if we had everything we wanted, it wouldn't work. Why? Because a lost world requires a spiritual solution. Spiritual problems require a spiritual solution, just like natural problems require a natural solution. If I break my arm, all the prayer in the world isn't going to make those bones grow back together. I need a physical solution for that. I need that arm set and put it in a cast. And similarly, if, we, if this world ultimately has a spiritual problem, then what's the solution for that? And thank God we know the solution for that. There is no problem so large that God cannot fix it. And that's great news. We'll throw a motorhead analogy in there for Gary in the back. He seems to appreciate them. What I learned here in church is that this world does not need a tune-up. It needs a new motor. (laughs) See, if I think I can just put some lipstick on this pig and it's going to be okay again, not going to happen. But It's good to know what we're up against. It's good to know what needs to be done, because then we can pull together and move collectively in the right direction. So what I love about how this prayer was written is it doesn't just say we need to take this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it be. See, that would be a whole different focus if that was how this was worded. Because then what this would advocate for is a belief that I actually know a lot of people who believe that in a thing called blanket acceptance. Oh, what we should do is just accept everything as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at that moment. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake, and we're just supposed to humbly take everything that comes as being okay. But if that were true, then it negates the first part of this prayer where it says we only need to accept those things that cannot and should not be changed. Because it goes on to say also, we do need to change the things that ought to be changed. See, blanket acceptance, in my case, probably would have killed me. Because if I believed that I was born exactly the way God wanted me to be, and it was His will... See, in my case, as some of you know, I was a drunk. For 10 years, I drank up my life. But imagine if I would have said, well, 
It's God's will that I was made an alcoholic, and therefore his will for me is to drink myself to death. And if I sober up, I would be actually interfering with God's will. (laughs) And I don't want to do that. See, I don't think I was born to do the things I was did. I that I did. I think that there was a lot of self-will in there. There was a lot of deception in there. There were a lot of elements that went into my life taking the course that it did. See, God's will for me wasn't to fall down. It was to get back up again. God's will for me was to change from the inside out, to transform. And I think that's his solution for the world, too. See, Our solution in this world is transformation, not just of us, but of everything. So when it says not just take the world as it is, the real key to understanding this is when it says taking as Jesus did this world as it is, not as I would have it. And obviously that leads the question then, okay, So how exactly did Jesus take this world? And already I can hear some wheels spinning out there because you're starting to think, okay, that is a good question. And I think most of us already know some of the answers to that. You see, what the Bible teaches is this ship is sinking. (laughs) Durr. Save the passengers. Get to the lifeboats. Or if Arnold Schwarzenegger was uh, running the movie, it'd be, get to the choppers. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> but get to the lifeboats. See, in this world, I know that some of the people out there advocating the loudest for change, if they were on the Titanic, you know, when that ship hit the iceberg, they wouldn't be going to the lifeboats. They'd be going below deck going, I think we can fix this. (laughs) If we all get down here together and we start getting some materials, I think we can patch this hole and fix this boat. That would be crazy. But yet the same people advocate for fixing society and fixing the planet and fixing all of this. But what I love about the Bible is when we get into the Bible, it says... In Isaiah, here's a prophecy from the Old Testament. It says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. This reaches fruition when we get into the very last chapter of our Bible in the New Testament. See, sometimes, like in today's world, it would be nice to be able to know that this is just a movie and you could fast forward to the end and see how it ends, and then you could decide if you really wanted to watch it. Or reading a book. I know people that always read the last page of a book first, and if it doesn't have a happy ending, they throw the book away. They're not going to read it if the ending's bad. (laughs) Why waste your time? How many of us have watched a movie that we hated, but we're going, I know it's got to get better, right? (laughs) 
and I've already got an hour invested in this, so I suppose I'd better see how this ends. And sure enough, the ending is just as bad as the movie. And then you're really mad because now you got two hours of your life you'll never get back. And But the great news of our beliefs, Christianity, is it's in a book, and we get to open that book at any time and see how this mess ends. And here's what it says in Revelation 21, the very last chapter of the book. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. And you see, that is beyond great news. That is the best news ever. Because I love how Mike lays this out. We, when we read this Bible, we always need to differentiate between old and new. We also always need to differentiate between now and then. Because the more that we can look at that Bible and realize that our hope is in a new life, not this life, a new world, not this world. Our hope is in new bodies. We don't have to worry so much that we're falling apart, and God knows I am but our hope is in new bodies. Our hope is in a new heaven and a new earth. Has anybody ever checked the oil in a rental car? <laughs> anybody, has anybody ever cleaned their hotel room before the maid got there? <laughs> Other than just trying to not get a damage deposit thrown out. <laughs> but see, if you know, has anybody ever fixed something before you threw it away? I mean, I've thrown away things because I tried to fix them. <laughs> That's different. But you see, God isn't about saving the planet. I always kind of know where people are at because they wear T-shirts that say, you know, save the spotted owl or save the whales or save the planet. And believe me, I'm not about destroying our environment. I love our planet. We're stewards of it. We need to protect it. But it's always interesting that I've never seen certain camps wear t-shirts that said, save the people. <laughs> but aren't, isn't that more important? Because God's intention isn't to fix this. It's to renew it, to redo it. Kind of like when my dad remodeled the last house he lived in. The first tool he carried into the house was a sledgehammer. <laughs> Deconstruction, then reconstruction. You see, that's great news because we're kind of in the destructive phase right now. But it ends beautifully. And we're going to be 
okay. But it, we always have to keep our eye on the ball. This is old. That's new. This is now. That's then. And we're going to transcend all of this. So that then encourages us. Once we get our nows versus thens calibrated, what God would tell us, be patient, be confident, be still, be at peace. We will be okay. But what do we do in the meantime? Just sit around and home, be okay? See, while we're waiting for all of this to transpire, in the meantime, I believe our mission as Christians is to save others, to get more people into the lifeboats. And that makes perfect sense to me. If I'm focused on saving myself, I don't have time for anybody else. When we have the comfortable assurance that we're already saved, we're already secure, we are already okay, heaven is indeed in front of us, then we're freed up to save others. And that's where the Bible tells us, and this is in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what we're really called to do is focus on the people, help others, communicate a message to them, help people to understand that punishment is off the table, help people to understand that if they make a decision followed by constructive action to turn their will and their lives over to the care of Jesus, the care of God, that they too can share in all of these promises and be okay. I love how Mike put it in one of his books when he said, as ambassadors of God, we arrive not carrying a whip, but an olive branch. That's what we extend to others. All too often, it's easy to get deceived as Christians, and we think our job is to go out there and judge the world or attack the world or condemn the world because the world is doing all these bad things. But I did the same things. Because if I'm not a believer, why wouldn't I do those same things? There's no reason to not do them. You see, that's why beliefs have to change before behaviors can. God will always change our behavior by changing our desire. That's what makes the impossible possible, a change of heart. And that's what transforms us from the inside out. The great news in that is we get to do exactly what we want to do. 
We just find as time goes on, we want to do different things. That's what authentic spirituality looks like. God's spirit within us, transforming us from the inside out, changing what we want, changing our desires, so that we're able to go forward with a heart tuned into other people and not ourselves. There's a name for that. It's called love. Thank you. As we close here, uh, we just want to say a quick prayer and then we'll be done. But Lord, we know this world isn't how we want it. We know it's not how you want it right now. But we thank you that we have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a reason to stay here. And help us, Lord, to keep our eye on the ball, that that reason is love. It's Our reason is care and concern for others. And help us to do that as we await your promises coming true. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.